pray for her before she speaks. Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for this wonderful gift that you've placed in my life and everything that she's taught me and sown into me, Lord. I just ask that she speaks this morning that um, your words will be spoken and that um, everything that you want us to hear today, Lord, that we would hear and that it would resonate with our hearts. And thank you for my mother and everything that she's done. And I just ask that you would bless her today. Amen. Amen. Well, no greater privilege than that, right? So good morning. Good morning. Um, when thinking about speaking today, I kind of wanted to come around Mother's Day at a different angle. Especially the last two weeks, we had Vision Sunday where we talked about the purpose and the presence and the importance of people in this community as a vision for this community. And then last week, Bethany spoke about the Young Missions Movement that we, she thought would be rebirthed out of a place in Massachusetts. And so, when putting this together, I thought, hmm, many years ago, one of my favorite teachers said, make sure some of your closest friends are dead people. And I thought, oh yes, wise one. <laughs> what? And what he was saying was that Whatever your passion is in life, whatever it is, the thing that God has put in you, make sure you find people who have gone before you and broken ground for you and made way for you so you can learn from them. Because we learn from their successes, but I have found in my own life I've learned just as much from my failures. And so this morning I wanted to use one of my DDFs, <laughs> best dead friends. <laughs> <laughs> She has always captured my heart because she not only preached the gospel, she lived the gospel. And to her, her life was for Christ. That was her gift. She didn't expect or think he was living or had lived for her. She wanted to pour her life out for him, her beloved, the love of her life. And so what I want to do this morning is look a little bit at her younger years. Because I think one good thing about getting old is that you can see backwards. You can see your life, where he's put threads that he's woven in your life. And how important those are, sometimes even at a really young age. Or, as you get older, you get to see the, the totality of things. Hindsight is precious. So there are good things about getting older. So we want to look at Mother Teresa, her formative years, and then we want to go into some of the things she put in her life which really marked her. Some say she is the most honored human being to have ever lived. She was honored by Christians and non-Christians. She was a unifier. Although when she spoke and received the Nobel Prize, Peace Prize at Oslo, when she got up to speak, I mean, she's five foot, she's a little teeny person. She got up to speak, and all she had with her was a card, which was the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And she said, gave one to everyone and said, could we read this together? And you could see this jar in it. And then she went on to speak about abortion and how wrong it was in wow. front of the world. And she got chastised for it afterwards. Wow. And she looked at the man chastising her and said, 
I'm called as you are because it is a minute o'clock to speak God's truth, and I will never not speak his truth, and I will always speak his truth in love. And so in that place, in the love that came out of her heart towards others, she was able to speak the truth and unify instead of speak it and have people feel judgment and pushed away. And I think that is so important where as we go forward today to have that love that we can look into their eyes and love them and not judge. We will see how this works through her life. So, firstly, she was born her early years in Macedonia. She was a Christian, a mom and dad were Christian, but they lived in a Muslim community. So, already we're starting to see her love and her um, caring for other faiths, even though she did not agree. She was grown up in the midst of that, and so you see that go forward. Mother Teresa's name was Agnes, which means pure. I love that. When I meet new people, I always go back to my book and see what their name means, because I think names are so important. You see that in scripture. Names are really important. Um, her mom and dad made it a point that they would pray together every day as a family. Every day they would sit and talk to God together and listen. She said half her time when she prays is speaking to God, and the other half is listening for his response. Her mom, weekly, sometimes more than weekly, baked goods, and she took her children with her to feed the poor since she was like two or three years old. And her mom, when she walked into the room, it was very important when her children spoke what they said and how they said it, how they treated human beings. Others was very important to her mom. So her mom, when she would come into the room, if the children were speaking in a negative way or in a judgmental way about others, she would shut the power off in the house. But mom, but I think that's a spiritual principle. I know it is in my life. That when I speak negatively or I judge others, I can feel his presence with, I can feel the power go off. And so in her, the end, towards the end of her life, she said, it is the only sin I know. I will not have to speak to him about his judging others. Because my mother put it into me as a little child. When she was about 11 years old, her dad died quite suddenly and unexpectedly, and this did jar her family. But when she was, um, when she received First Communion for the first time, I'm trying to remember all these facts for her, but I want to get through them. When she received First Communion, she felt the searing of her heart for souls. This was when she was five. At five years old, there was a searing in her heart for the souls of the lost. And she knew as she progressed, as she got older, that this was going to be a call in her life. She was going to be a missionary. That's what she thought. She was going to go and spread the love of her beautiful Jesus all over the world and serve the poor. But as she got a little bit older, it became clear to her that he was asking more of her. As she became closer to the age of 18, she felt like he was calling her to be a nun and to go to India, but she didn't know. The problem with that is that she more than anything wanted to marry and have a family. That was her dream. And as we find with people when we look at scripture, when we look at some of the great men and women of God, it is not uncommon to see him ask for your dream. 
before he tells you what his is, before he tells you what the exchange is. So for her, like many others in scripture, she is giving up the dream of her heart for that memory. Will she trust him? Will she be faithful to the one that is at 18? She adores, absolutely adores. And she says yes. And she goes to her mom and talks to her mom. And her mom prays about it. And says, yes, I think this is true. So her mom takes her to where she needs to go. She's going to go first. She's going to become a nun. She's going to go to Ireland. And then she'll be shipped to India. And her mom leaves her with these words. Walk with Jesus and him alone. Walk ahead and don't look back. Because if you look back, you will go back. And these words would be prophetic because she never saw her daughter. That just breaks my heart. Oh, I cannot imagine. But that was life. So that was the last time she saw her mother. When she became a nun, she took a new name, Teresa. Does anybody know what Teresa means? Harvester. So she goes from pure one to harvester. She has no idea the international impact she will have. She thinks she's going to be a pronoun nun in the middle of nowhere, and that is how she's going to live her life. That's what she thinks. And I think that's what many of us think. There is no destiny. We're just going through the mundane things of our lives. And sometimes we'll have a high moment. But for the most part, it's this. And that's because for many of us, many of you, you are in the first part of her life, the first training aspect, the first lesson of her life. Do you know what that is? I think it's true of every year. It's true of every person in Scripture. Servanthood. Your training period. Your greenhouse years. Those things where you can't see outside to see where you're going or where God's going to call you to be. But it is critical because those are, the, those are the places, those are the years that God is going to mold your character. He's going to check and see, are you a vessel of clay that will yield to his hand or will you be stiff? You need to put aside for someone who can be molded and yield it for his purpose. Servant years are so important, and I love what I see here. I love the way all of you serve. It is so critically important because God's kingdom is upside down. Yeah. It is upside down, so you have to think other. You have to think other. In these years, um, she made a vow to him. She actually made two vows to him. The first one was that no matter what he called her to do when she got to India, no matter what he called her to do, she's 18 years old, she would say yes. No matter what the cost of her, she would say yes. And the second was she asked him that she would experience every bit of joy and every bit of pain he ever experienced. She loved him that much that she wanted to feel all that he felt. Everything, not just the good, not just the blessing. She wanted to feel everything that he felt. And we will see that he did honor that prayer for her. And it broke her heart. The fruit of these years, 
these early years, so it's 20 years. She's 20 years serving. She was serving as a teacher. She's living in a convent. Think Sound of Music, you know, Maria. Think that. That's what it's like. So they live in a building. This, the poor come to them. There's a school, and the children are taught in their community. So they're taken care of. And she does this for 20 years. And what people say about her in those years, that she was so joyful. She adored her Christ, adored him. That she worked with excellence and loved others. She would ask at night if she could stay up at night and spend time with Christ. They said no, she needed her sleep. <laughs> but in those years, she said she could feel the Holy Spirit bleeding on, his neck, on her neck. That's how close he was to her, causing her to go lower and lower. She would always take the toilets. When it came time to clean the house, the lowest position was the place that she would raise her hand to say, I'll do it. I'll clean the toilets. I'll do the worst job. And I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me in Africa the first time I was in Africa. And it was the last Sunday before I left. In Africa, there's a huge church. It's outside, well over 100 degrees, probably 200 people worshiping God. And we're going on like two hours. I mean, they know how to worship God. I tell you what, I was like, I was out by an hour, dripping sweat, standing in the back. And I was saying to him, how beautiful that you were loved like this here. How beautiful that they worship you like you deserve to be worshipped. Just wholehearted. And, and the thing about it that you knew is that next week, some of those were good guys are going to go out and they're going to end up dead because they're preaching the gospel in places that people do not want to hear about it. There was a gentleman that we know, and his brother went out from, from their church. And he went out and he went and started preaching the gospel. And the witch doctor, witch doctor found out, and he brought him, had him brought before him, and he said, I don't want you preaching Jesus here, and he cut his tongue off. And then he said, I hear, I hear that your Jesus raises the dead. And so he cut him in pieces, blah, blah, and the man died. He had six children in life. And six months later, his brother, who we know, went back to the witch doctor and said, but Jesus requires me to, to say, I forgive you. I need to forgive you for what you've done to my brother and his family. And the witch doctor was so taken by his heart that he gave his life to Christ and the whole village was saved. This is the kind of, this is the kind of love. This is the intensity. And so I'm standing in the back of the church, just at the, um, in the back, and just kind of saw him, just loving God and being so thankful for what he was doing. And all of a sudden, the power of God was like, boom! And I never felt anything like it before in my life. I could not even hardly believe. And I knew the person standing directly next to me was having the same experience. It was like we were in this little, this little, you know, bubble, and, and something powerful was taking place. And all of a sudden, he started asking questions. Boom, boom, boom. I'm trying to answer. No, this is a very significant moment. And one of the questions was, Kathy, how low do you go for me? And I thought, oh my gosh, come I just hit the deck, right? Covered with sweat. Now I'm in the dirt, and I'm thinking, I will dig to China if I need to. I will go as low as you want me to go. But what I noticed is the person next to me got down very gently. And when they got to the point where they were kneeling, they took a bandana out 
put it on the ground, and then you put their face on it with their hand on the bandana so they didn't get dirty. And at that moment, the presence of God moved it off of them. It was disqualification. Because they wanted to be clean. They didn't want to get dirty. They didn't want their life to be a mess. We have to understand that our lives are going to get really messy when we start taking care of people that he loves and he wants us to take care of. Harvard Square, you can have people vomiting all over you. How will you respond? How will you respond? And you go there with white gloves, or plastic gloves, so you don't get any blood on your hands. Or will you just wipe the tears and listen to your stories? Because everybody's got a story. There's a reason why people do what they do. And so to go there with a heart that doesn't judge, like Mother Teresa's mom, you know, think of that when you grow up. You don't want to be judging why people do what they do. We're called to love them. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict them. But we're called to love. So anyway, I think the fruit of Mother Teresa's years, as she said, was meekness. Meekness is like a gift from heaven. Meekness is not of this earth. Some people say meek people are laid back people. You know, when you just look in the clouds, you know, what do you mean? Not at all. Meekness allows the cross. Meekness allows the cross to be brought to you in your person. It's the laying down of your life, of your power, for the blessing of others. That is meekness. Scripture says in Psalm 20, 25, 9, it says, The meek he will guide in doing right, and the meek he will teach his ways. So he teaches his ways to those who have their strength under control. In Schindler's list, there was a scene where he's, Schindler's speaking to a um, guard, and the guard's kind of drunk with his own power, saying, See that boy? I could kill that boy. I have so much power. And Schindler says, No. True power is you can kill that boy, but you don't. It is the laying down of your life for the blessing of others. And that was the fruit of Mother Teresa's time, the 20, the 20 years, doing the low things, taking, taking care of others. So that when it came time, Jesus started revealing her in quiet time. The last two years, these amazing blueprints, and she started to have these fascinating encounters with him where he told her everything she was going to need for the next 48 years of her life. That she was going to do things differently. She was called to take care of the poor in a way that had never been done before. She was going to be used to do his work, his way. So what did that look like? The first thing she started to do was um, live a very simple life. I do want to say that at this time, her name changed again. So she went from harvester, sister harvester, to now she was the mother of harvester. The mother of all harvesters that we've seen. Amazing. So once she began this work and all the changes started to take place, she said, my sisters are going to be completely different. So what God told her is that they were going to be dressed like the people that she lived with. She was going to live in a community that was with the poor and the homeless. She was going to dress like the people did saris. She was going to eat food like they did, because none of them were going to take a salary. It was complete, 
complete reliance on God for what they did and the services that they provided. But they were going to go to the people's homes instead of having the people coming to them. So as you can see, it's upside down from the way that it had been done in the past. The inventory of personal belongings for a sister of, from Calcutta would be two saris, a bed mat, um, Bible, prayer book, personal items, and that's it. So when the two sisters hopped in the taxi with the priest who was going to the airport, he had with his suitcase because he was going for a week, the two women jumped in and he said, oh, where are you going? And they said, we're going to South America. And he said, how long for? And they said, five to ten years. Because <laughs> they had nothing. But it was really important for her that they live simple lives because she knew the material possessions were such a distraction because she had seen it in her life. The more you have, the more distracted you are. The more material things you want, the less time you have to spend with Christ and serve the poor. Because she needed those two things to do, the serving of the poor part, the way it was supposed to be done, the way that Christ had envisioned her, she had to be spending time with him. She had to be asking for his heart, asking for his eyes. And this was so important. Proverbs 15, 16 says, better is, It's better to have little than the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure in inner turmoil. She wanted her time to be spent well, and so she utilized everything, every minute. Do you know if you spend one hour a day doing something throughout the year, at the end of the year, you'll have spent 15 hours doing that one thing. And if you multiply that by, you know, 10 years, that's 150 days you're doing something. So whether that's praying, whatever, these things on the, on the whole of your life add up to huge amounts of things. You know, you could, you could take give platelets once every two weeks, but at the end of your life, you have saved so many people's lives with what you've done. Those little things adding up are huge things. Huge things. Lesson, lesson three was that she treated everybody the same. And I think that's because she saw Christ in everybody. Leper, present. Didn't, it didn't matter to her. She, there was a story where she was sitting, she, was, she wanted to go into a country where there are dictators, because usually where there are dictators, there are lots of poor people. Where there are poor people, she sees the need, she's going to go fill it, and she goes in to see Daniel um, Ortega. And he calls her into this little teeny room, and there's a platform, and there's a big desk, no windows, and she walks in, and there are four gunmen with masks holding rifles right towards her. And there's Daniel Ortega, and he goes into this huge rant for a half hour, which is being translated to her. And she waits till he's finished. And she looks at the translator and she says, Yes, yes, tell him love will bring him peace. And the translator is terrified. <laughs> and so there she goes. So the, the word's given to him, and she can see his eyes flame, and she just walks right up and she says, Do you have any children? And he says, she brings out seven little gifts and gives it to him. Then he says, are you married? She said, are you married? And he goes, yes. And she brings out a gift and kisses it and puts it on the desk. And then she says, I have something for you too. And she gives him a medal. And she gives it to him and she puts it on him. He's completely disarmed. And her sisters come in and are able to help the people in his country. When she's back in India, 
she's walking through the streets with three of her sisters, and they see many people that are really seriously injured and need help. They're not doing well. They scoop them all up. She, of course, takes the worst. She brings them to the hospital for the dying, which they have. She cleans her all up, washes her, makes her a bed of beautiful, nice, clean linens, gives her a little bit to eat, and sits with her and speaks with her. The woman looks over at her and smiles and says, thank you, and then dies. It's the same. Noriega, the dying woman, we get the same treatment from her. Part of her and character and charter in life was to exhibit and communicate Christ's goodness so that the decision to accept him when the time came would be simple. She wanted to truly be that reflection of Christ. She truly wanted to be that person when she spoke to you, you were speaking to Christ. You saw his love, you saw his concern. When she said, How are you? she meant, how are you? I want to hear the story. I want to hear how you're doing. I want to hear how you are. And she saw the poor people as Jesus, and she called it distressing disguise. And that's why she could love the unlovable. Because to her, it was Jesus the whole time. And how could she not take care of her Jesus that is in such serious trouble? In Matthew 25, for me, it's one of the most haunting of scriptures. There's only a few more that, that cause me to stay awake when I think of it and ponder it. And it's Jesus talking to two groups of people, the righteous and the unrighteous. And it, he's saying, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison. And you came to visit me, and they said, both groups, the righteous and the unrighteous, said, when? When did we do that? When did we see them like that? And he says, basically, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. It's the only time in scripture where we see Jesus identify with the people group and say, what you do to them, you do to me. And there are blessings and there are consequences for both. For me, it was terrifying. And it still is terrifying. Because it's so easy to walk by people like they're invisible. Like they don't matter because we're busy and we have things to do. And this was so um, imprinted on me. when I, After I had Noah, I took a year off of work and I went back to work a couple days a week. And it was my first day back and I was thinking how much I missed him. You know, what he was doing today, that kind of thing. And I'm walking down Tremont Street. In my, I'm in my nice business suit, and I walk by Dunkin' Donuts, and there's a homeless person right in the corner. And I walk by, and I hear his voice, and he said, Kathy, that is someone's Noah, and something has gone terribly wrong. And I just stopped, burst into tears, because he's got my heart right now, right? This is, this could be my son, and some lady has just walked right by him, but she's too busy to take care of him. But my son needs help. So no no more are they just people, they're children, they're someone's, they're his child. 
So I go over to this poor guy. It was probably like the, the worst day of his life, right? I go over, what can I get you? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I'll buy you clothes. He's like, thank you, bless you. Get away from me. But to me, it changed everything. It changed everything. So when our children got older, we would go feed the poor. And each one of them could make their own lunches. You know, they could make what they were going to give out. So we set everything up, and it just went through. And I always tried to couple it with something that they would like, something that brought them joy. So we would go feed the poor, and then we'd go see Karen, because Karen's office is full of ladies with candy. <laughs> we would go through and just take everything. Or we would go get an ice cream. And what, what we told them was it was Jesus and dress up, because our kids love dress up. And he said, Whatever you did, you did to me. So it would be like, Jesus, please be good today. <laughs> Bring the kids out. Please be. And you know what? He was so merciful. He was so merciful. The only time we had any issue was we tried to give flesh to a guy who wasn't homeless and he was really angry. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Appearances can be deceiving. You guys need to think about those things. <laughs> Found probably some of the most profound experiences and prayers and encounters I've had have been with the homeless, have been with the poor. Going out to Harvard Square. Harvard Square is like one of my favorite places because there are a lot of other ways there. And I love young people. My heart breaks for them and what's going on in their lives. And, and one day um, it was cold out, and so I went to Ben Gordon's and I was doors to get hot chocolate, right? Because you can just bring them hot chocolate. You can, you can do, there's so many things you can do that they're appreciative of. And so got them hot chocolate and brought them around. There was this guy that I hadn't seen before. He was like, he was really big, and he had long blonde hair, and he had beautiful blue eyes, but one of his eyes um, wasn't working anymore. And so I was talking, and I said, so what's your name? And he said, oh, um, they call me Big Bird. And I said, oh, why do they call you Big Bird? And he goes, oh, we're all messed up. And, and we turned on channel two, and it was Big Bird. And then I stood up, and everybody's like, it's Big Bird, he's real. <laughs> so the name stuck, so he's Big Bird. And so, so we're talking, and I said, well, you know what brought you to this place? Because not everybody that's homeless is sad that they're homeless. Some people choose to not do everything that we all do. They just don't want to live that way. And that's fine, but there's some people that, that need help and want to come out of that place. You know, so that's the difference. That's the important thing to figure out. But anyway, so I said, so how'd you get here? And I tear up and he said, well, I was, in the care of my, I was taking care of my son when he was two, and he died. And my wife never forgave me, and she divorced me, and then I got all messed up, drinking and drugs. And so then I, I didn't know what to do, so I needed to get a job, but I was messed up. So I went to work on a fishing boat, and they were casting out, and the hook caught in my eye. And so now my eye doesn't work, and, you know, and I'm just, oh, my gosh. You need Christ so bad. And so we're talking, and said, um, well, where's God to you? And you know, where is he? He goes, oh, God's good. God's good. Well, you know, we talked a little bit longer. I said, well, can I pray for you? You know, can I pray for you? He goes, I love you. Pray for me. So I prayed for him, you know, to the 
years, up in tears. And then Dudley said, but Kathy, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. He goes to me. That guy's Jesus in disguise. I'm getting it firsthand. And how it comes, the most unbelievable prophetic, what I was sobbing. I mean, I was a wreck when I got to meet that guy. And I never saw him again. Never saw him again. But everybody has their story. And I think that's when I look at Mother Teresa's life, that's what I see. Each person has a story, each person is valuable, each person is loved and cared for, and that can only come through relationship with Christ. Because no one can sustain what she sustained without always looking, always being connected to him. Always trying to see what he's doing, capturing his heart. It was interesting, and Daryl was talking this morning about giving. Um, Mother Teresa completely trusted God for all of her possessions, for everything that they needed. They took no salary. And not only did they take no salary, when people donated money to her, her response was, Oh, I'm joyful giving you this money. So, so, I mean, we do things where we were, you know, we ask for donations and very few times would you say, oh, but, <clears throat> but if you're not joyful giving this to me, I really don't want it. I mean, that's faith. That's faith. Not only is she saying, you know, thank you, but she's saying, I know the one who loves me most, the one who provides for me, doesn't want you giving me anything unless it's joyful to you. Don't worry, it's fine. We'll be good. We'll be good. The people who make breakfast for the little group where they live, it was their job if there's no food. Well, don't come to me and ask me to do anything about it. You're on for lunch, breakfast. You pray for the food. No kidding. There's no food. Go pray. It's your job. Pray it in. And then you wait for someone to knock on the door. Oh, no pressure there. <laughs> oh, I would love to be with you. You know, just, it's amazing. But she said, you know, we don't stress about the air that we breathe. Like, do you know anybody that wakes up in the morning? Oh, my gosh. Do we have enough air? Is there enough air? Should we put some away? Because maybe next year there might not be enough air. Do we stress about air? Why is it that we stress about food or money? Is he not capable, if he can make oxygen that we can breathe and make bodies that we see him, is he not good enough? Is he not strong enough? Is he not powerful enough to take care of somebody? Especially since all of it's his. So that's how she lived her life. She didn't care. It didn't matter because she knew at the end of the day he was good for it. He would provide. Not, maybe not what she wanted, but what they needed. Tell you a story about money because for Gary and I, it really shifted us in the way we see money. So we had five children in seven years. God told us after we had Noah that we would have four sons. I said, How many daughters? He said, I'm not telling you. <laughs> okay. So we just knew that once we had our fourth son, would be done having children. So we have four sons and one daughter. And um, when we had five kids, Gary was working. I obviously couldn't work. 
And so many people had a poverty level. I mean, happily so. Hamburger Helper was awesome. It was before food got really, you know, like you really had to pay attention. It was, you know. We were happy with Hamburger Helper. Not all of us were happy, you know, retrospectively. They're all like, no more. So we didn't, we didn't have hardly any money. We were fine, but we found out there was a family in our community that was in dire need. And, uh, and so Gary and I both felt like we were supposed to do something for them. So we both go to our respective corners, pray about it, and come back. Gary's like, do you know something? I'm like, yeah, I think I do. You? Yeah, I do. And it turns out it was both the same, which is always what we want, right? <laughs> it was like the very thing you had. Well, of course. I mean, it's not really a lot. We didn't have a lot, but to us, it was a lot. And so, you know, felt like God said, don't give me a check, give him cash. And tell them you don't want it back. You don't want it back. Like, no, we don't want it back. Do we, Gary? <laughs> we don't want this money back. How can we make life unbreathable? <laughs> so, so we give them the money, and, and you know, that's another whole story, but profoundly impacts them. Like, oh, that was cool to see. So, probably, I think it's like five or six weeks later, Gary's doing, you know, doing our books. And uh, I can hear him get frustrated. I'm thinking, oh, no. what is taking place? And then he hear him. He's, he's agitated, and he's, and that's usually not a good thing. <laughs> and I said, what's the matter? And he said, you're not going to believe what he's done. Well, we have four little keys, so that's kind of a terrifying thought. What's <laughs> taking place? What could they have done that has financial implications at such a young age? And he said, he said Kathy. God put the money back in our account without a deposit. <laughs> now, all of you A-type personalities are like, like Gary. I'm going to stay up and figure this out until I figured out how he did this. Without a deposit, yes. Without a deposit, he put the amount of money we gave away into our checking account. Wow. And he did it again. Gary said, fishes and loaves happened again. Fishes and loaves. I'm like, yes! He goes, don't you go buy anything. Because <laughs> that's where I was going. I was going to celebrate. But I remember that. <laughs> well, it was all his. Let's just go do it. Shoot the law. You know, you'll be fine. But you do need to be good stewards with your friends. <laughs> um, but I remember laying in bed that night and I was just marveling. How good are you? Take us right out of that cliff, kick our little bottoms over, and right there. I got you. I got you. You don't need to worry about anything. So for Gary and I, like money's like, sure. Sure. Because the blessing is so much greater. Like to live 30 years later, to live 30 years out, that money is God's. And God said, Kathy, I made Gary smart, but I'm always going to be smarter. So, <laughs> you never did let him know. But, but it's in those places that if you can let go of your fears, if you can, if you can trust that God, you know, my gosh, he's going to take care of you. He's good for you. All the money is his. All the air is his. We need to love. We need to love them. We need to look them in the eye and 
say, what can I do for you? What if they say, can I live with you? Can you take me to lunch? Sure. I bet you, if that's what takes place, it'll be the most powerful encounter you have in your life. Because God's good for it. You can never outgive God. You can never, in a million years, outgive God. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Whatever you give, a million times more. When we're children's pastors, you know, someone came up to us and said, anything you give to kids is going to be pressed down and given back to your children a hundredfold. What you pour into other people's children, he will make sure is tripled back in your life. And that goes through everything and for everything. And it's easy to say this now because now I've been able to look back and say, it's true. It's true. He's good for it. He'll always be good for it. One thing that really startled me about Mother Teresa wrapping up um, is a thing that, that came out just recently about her. It came out when her private writings were published, which is why I don't put private writings on paper. But it turns out that Mother Teresa, once she started the Missionaries and Charities, God honored that prayer that she would experience every bit of pain because he removed his presence from her life and she never felt it again. The pain and suffering of the cross. She lived. And one, it was one month that she was so desperate that she was pleading, please. And he came back for one month to lift and be gone. Not that he wasn't there, because when she ministered, she could feel him there. But that presence, that feeling him so close to her, those beautiful, intimate times, she was there. And she felt as though she was alone. And she said, God has not called me to be successful. God has called me to be faithful. And there are times when suffering and failure and disappointment are my constant companions. But she said, I will smile at his hidden face for the rest of my life. If he's going to be quiet, she will continue on. So mapping out, I just I just want to quickly, quickly read with you. What, what were the things, what were the markers that we can look at in her life? What things did she show us the way, this is the way to treat people? Because if she were in corporate America, she would be a like a Fortune 500 company. She left the earth with 500 homes that are dying around the world. Communist countries, socialist countries, all over. And continued after this day, after she died, she still had numbers coming in to now to date she is 700 her sisters have continued the work and there are 700 of them so she was able to sustain her work after her death which is huge so she embraced and prayed for meekness she lived simply even when she didn't have to she always went in the back of the plane and they always moved her up to first class she treated everyone the same and she aspired to make her christ concrete to everyone that she met she looked for Jesus in other people, whether they intimidated her or not. She looked and she found him in there. She kept things in perspective when it came to her material possessions and money. She knew God was good for it, and that she could count on him. 
So I think if I was going to say one thing to you, I would say, seek first his kingdom, and all things will be added to you. Trust him more than anything or anyone else. Trust him more than your natural eyes see. Just because you see something doesn't mean that's how it really is. Take, time, take the time to seek his will for your life. And when you find it, go for it with everything you've got. Amen. 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 It's undeniable the effects that Mother Teresa had on the world, isn't it? And, uh, as Kathy was sharing, I was thinking immediately about the imprint that I want to leave. Um, and I think, although the whole message that she brought to us today on the legacy of the life of Mother Teresa. There was one thing that speak, spoke to me the most, it was her meekness, right? I just want to read one little quote from her in light of this message. It says, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And you know, I think some of us have the tendency to think that uh, we're conditioned, I think, even specifically given our kind of denomination, if you would, to Think big when God really calls us to just do small. You know, we think movement, but what God wants is meekness. Jesus said that the meek what shall inherit the earth. It's quoted from a psalm, I think it's 113. And there is an inheritance in meekness, and I think there's a a thing of meekness that we're to embrace even this morning that when it comes to being used by God, even as a church, as we even go out into the streets and share Christ, that one thing that we should consider is meekness, that it doesn't have to be a big flash, you know, as much as we can get, you know, as much as we can have, as much as we can provide, but it just can be in our meekness. Lou says it like this, he says, you know, it's a sword in the heavens, and it's a towel on the earth. Meaning that, we prayed almost like in a militant way with the sword of water and breakthrough in Cambridge. But yet, when it comes to playing out reality, it's a towel of servanthood. And that is nothing short of what Christ did himself. Understand, Jesus the Messiah called himself a servant. Kathy, thank you for the word today. Uh, mothers, we appreciate you. Um, we love you. Thank God for you. We want to turn your attention to some bouquets, some flowers. Oh, what's that? You've already given out. Okay, praise God. I'm sorry. Mothers, we love you. We appreciate you. We thank God for you. Uh, continue to do the good work that you do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word today. Lord, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to embrace, to walk meekly. Lord, your word says that you reject the proud, that you embrace the humble. So, Lord, we want to be embraced, but Lord, we ask God for humility. We ask for a meekness, a meekness that brings about a great inheritance, the inheritance of the earth, Lord. I ask God that we would be touched, Lord, and have a desire to make an imprint. Lord, of lasting change in our city, God, and in our nation, Lord, through the spirit of meekness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, friends, we love you guys. Um, when we come back, we'll be here next Sunday, same back channel, same back time.
That's a reference from Batman, if you don't know. Have a blessed day with your families and your moms. Okay, celebrate them well. And if you're